Turn with me, if you will, to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. I want to read a few verses from this opening passage and focus on one particular verse to set the stage for my time up here. Second Peter chapter 1, after describing Jesus coming down, our Apostle Peter wants to relay something to us this morning. Starting at verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Amen. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In reading this passage and hearing it expounded upon in recent days, including the sermon that we were all here, I was gripped with the fact that we have something more sure than God's voice from heaven. We've heard this mentioned to us before. We all know this to be a fact. But if we, if we really spent the time to think about it in recent days, God's voice from the excellent glory came down and spoke, and yet we have a more sure word of prophecy. I want to exhort us on how we read the Bible through a practical application that is absolutely paramount. If I were to hold up a piece of the puzzle and were to ask you, what is the context? What would the answer be? Every other piece of the puzzle. The big puzzle that's missing the piece behind you that you happen to be holding the piece in front of. That's the context. That's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes this morning. Context and how we read the Bible. This is a simple point of how to interpret the Bible. But like I mentioned, it's absolutely paramount to our doctrine. Without it, we have no right whatsoever to open the Scriptures. Because only in context can the Scriptures be truly understood. It is a fascinating study to go back and look at all the times that context must be used. Because truthfully, it's every verse of Scripture. We have example after example after example of why we have to have the context to rightly interpret a verse. I have just a few minutes up here. I want to excite you about reading the Bible. We had Philip start us off this morning with a psalm about reading the Bible. We had our pastor encourage us at the end of last year, going into the beginning of this year, to encourage us to read the Bible. We've been exhorted by at least Jonathan Carnell and Adam Green and Philip again and Daniel Crosby to read the Bible. It's paramount in our lives. It's so important. It is the keystone to us being the Christians that we ought to be. This is absolutely fundamental in our doctrine and how we interpret Scripture. 
For every piece of doctrine that we hold dear, we have to know the context of the verses we use to defend that doctrine. One of the other reasons I wanted to speak on this this morning is because of the amount of time that our pastor has had to spend in defending the context of Paul's writings in the book of Romans. He's been up here week after week after week having to undo the inability of pastors and teachers in the world today and how to interpret context. They will go in there and they will grab their verses and they will run with them, ignoring all the verses around them. I hope to show you a few examples of that today. Back to our text. Verse 19 is the, is the key verse that I want to bring out to encourage us all. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. In the psalm this morning we heard about taking heed thereto according to thy word. Here it is again. We have to take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. We have an obligation to take heed to this. And I want you to take heed to it in the, in the light of context. Amen. Every word in the Bible is part of a verse. Every verse, part of a paragraph. Every paragraph, part of a chapter. Every chapter, part of a book. And every book is part of the whole Bible. You have no right to grab one verse, one chapter, or even one book of the Bible without the context around it. Amen. What do we say when we mean context? Context is the surrounding information that tells us what an author means by individual words, sentences, or paragraphs within a passage. Have you ever been taken out of context? Have you ever said something and then heard it repeated maybe a week, maybe a year later, and it was nothing like what you meant to have said? Right. What if Matthew Eastland had gotten up here and said that he had just talked to his wife and she's making all kinds of strange noises all kinds of strange noises, and is going to die? And that's all you got out of him getting up here. When he had talked to his wife about his car, but you had missed the context entirely. It's the same thing that's done to the Scriptures on a consistent basis by those that will not study to show themselves approved unto God. I want to remind us of a few lessons that will help you as you read your Bible. I want us to be encouraged, not only by the rule of how to interpret Scripture, but in your daily Bible reading to have a sift to look through the passage that you may be reading. Some may read in Deuteronomy. They need to have the sift of who's talking and why they're saying what they're saying. Some may read in the book of John. They need to know who's speaking and who, he's, who they're speaking to. Let me give us a few practical ways to do this. The six W's. The six W's of context. Who. We've mentioned the book of Romans. It's very important to know who wrote the book of Romans. It was our Apostle Paul. Whom. We heard last Sunday the whom of the end of Mark 16 was to the apostles, not to people today trying to fulfill the Great Commission many years after the fact. So we have the who and the whom. The why. How about the man born blind and his parents? Jesus said they hadn't sinned. Is that true? According to Jesus at that moment, for that time, for those people, for that reason... But that's the context of what he was saying. Right. Of course they had sinned. 
what is being spoken. I remind you of the Song of Solomon in the book of Revelation. Both in the Bible, very different. Very different kinds of language, very different subject matter. Certainly not to be put together as the same. I remind you of the timing of a text. When something must be written according to the time frame that it was written in. And the last W, the where, the location that's mentioned. In the book of Acts, it says in one place that they came down and they went up. But yet the place they were going was going down and coming up. And it's this, what they're talking about is a change in elevation, not in whether you drove to Michigan or came back down from Michigan. It was whether you went up to Asheville. Many of us use the, the thought processes like going down the mountain or let's go down to town. Let's go up to the mountains. But yet you may have only gone sideways or down to get up. It's part of the context that you must remember right. in order to rightly interpret Scripture. What about the wherefores and the therefores of the Bible? We had one of those this morning when our brother Newell started us off in Ephesians chapter 4. We have things that come before, wherefores and therefores. Turn with me for a couple of these of my favorites. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 starts a new chapter. But 2 Corinthians chapter 7 has a therefore in it. Let me read the last few verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? For what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Beautiful, precious promises. It gives us light, it gives us context for 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Amen. The verse in and of itself, without having therefore, still makes sense, still fits the rest of Scripture. But knowing the having therefore, we can run back and see why. And it certainly gives extra emphasis and extra importance to it. Amen. That brings me to my next point, context can also give added value and significance to the understanding and the glory of a text. It can be highlighted. It can be lifted up. Let us look at another passage. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. We'll be getting to these shortly in our study of the book of Romans, Lord willing. But let's get excited about this and how it lifts something up higher than it is in and of itself. The end of Romans chapter 11 says... For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? Very important right there, verse 35. Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. It ends with an amen. 
But yet, chapter 12 starts with, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Because of what the Lord is and done, and because he hath, who hath first given to him and recompensed unto him again, because of that, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. It lifts up 12, verses 1, and it goes on in verse 2, mentioning the things that we ought to do, but it gives more emphasis and more power to them if we remember what was written before it. Many of us love Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. But listen to these words. After Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith, wonderful examples, great encouragement and strength from his scriptures, look at what we have in 12.1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That verse in and of itself is great. It's an encouragement. It's strength. But when you look at that through the the eyes, through the glasses of Hebrews 11, and realize with all the people that are looking at us, all those in in the hall of faith looking at us, how much more important should it be How much more strength should we gain? A few more examples. One, from our passage in 2 Peter, more sure than God's voice. The more sure means you had to have read the verses that explain God's voice to be able to get the more sure power. How about 1 Corinthians 12 leading into 13? We see as 1 Corinthians 12 finishes and 13 starts that charity is put out there as an example of something that's more important than spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues. And the whole chapter of 13 is made more important when looked at through the chapter of 12, the context once again. When we look at the Bible as an entirety, there's, there's two ways to look at it, with a greater context and a smaller context. Let me give you a few examples. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. That needs to be remembered or you will run into verses that will greatly confuse you as to why it's written a certain way. It's not a journal entry from Adam in, the, in Genesis. It's Moses recounting history. We need to remember that in Proverbs, my son is mentioned about 50 times. My son, my son, my son. It's a father writing to a son. Certainly much in there for daughters, for wives, and so on, but it needs to be primarily remembered that it's written to my son. As we get to the New Testament, we need to remember who wrote the epistles. We need to remember that there are pastoral epistles. First and Second Timothy and Titus were written from Paul as a pastoral epistle. We need to remember these things. Our pastor has said often the most important word in the entire book of Hebrews is Hebrews. You need to remember who it was written to. These are things that have to be in place before we can rightly divide God's word. A couple of examples of what happens if you don't follow God's word in the context. Today, there are religions based off of single verses. There are whole congregations this day being led astray using a soundbite. Let us look at Acts 2, and I want to show you one in particular that I find amazing that it could be overlooked so close in context. These religions, these individuals that are going about preaching these things that they ought not, They have grabbed something that sounds good to them and they can explain to a T to fit their religion. 
but they dare not look around the rest of the context to find out that they are sorely mistaken. Look at Acts 2 and verse 17. Acts 2.17, and here go the Pentecostals. Here go the Charismatics. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they love that. What comes before verse 17? Verse 16, right? Let's see, what does verse 16 say? Since it's assumed that if you're reading down, you would start at verse 16 and go to verse 17. Verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Talking about a completely different time frame. But yet they've got a religion after it, and there are many, many, many followers of that religion that are very devout in what they believe. Some of us have heard this, but as a reminder, look, what's, look what can happen if you don't follow context. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 5, that Judas went and hanged himself. The Bible says in Luke 10, 37, go and do thou likewise. The Bible says in John 13, 27, that thou doest, do quickly. Here are the Bible verses to go out and hang yourselves quickly. That's all they've done. They've grabbed a few they like. They've tied them together. And now we're supposed to go out and hang ourselves quickly. But they've done the same thing with Acts 2. That's right. Paul said that he'd become all things to all men, that he might by all means save some. Take that as far as you want to. I don't believe what most of them would have to come to with the way they interpret Scripture, ignoring context. Someone has said that in Acts 7.51, there must be the will of man. But haven't looked at the context of who's speaking or what they're speaking about. It's Stephen being stoned, and he's saying that those like the prophets of old time had stopped up their ears. They believe there's the will of man in that verse, that we have the ability to resist the Holy Spirit, not according to the rest of Scripture. When you try to give them the interpretation of the context around a certain passage, they will usually run to, you have yours and I have mine, and one day in heaven we'll all figure it out. Not according to Second Peter. We just read that there is no prophecy of the Scripture that is of any private interpretation. Right. You have one, I have one, that's private. There is no private interpretation. Right. How do you read your Bible? Do you read it with the understanding that it's a big book? It's got a lot of verses in it and not a chapter, not a book in itself. It's a collection of books. There's 66 of them that ought to be put together for the context. We've been given a great treasure. And the great treasure is not just the Word of God, but it's how the Word of God is written and the order in which it's written in. We have an obligation, as Philip mentioned, not only to read it, but to learn to interpret it correctly. To go in there and think that we can read a chapter, read a verse, and be excited and convicted about it, but having taken it out of context is still wrong. We have an obligation to make it fit together. That piece of the puzzle that's missing is not to be tacked on to a corner. The piece is to be found where it's missing and put in its place. Let us not think high and and lifted up of ourselves that we can do this without knowledge and wisdom from God. So we must pray for it, that every verse will be put in its correct context as our pastor has asked often. Let us not be like those that would do such a thing. We have a great treasure Let us make it such in our lives and shine it and beautify it as we ought to every day. Amen. Amen.
pause a second, let you let that sink in. Those are important words. If there's anything that distinguishes us from even people that are very close to us in belief, it is exactly what Nathan just mentioned. How do you use God's word? How do you interpret what it says? It is crucial. It is all the difference in the world. Well, I would like to cover briefly a subject that I hope is encouraging to you. We've heard a lot of good things today. We've heard some things that should be encouraging to us. We've heard some things that should be challenging to us. Some things we need to think about. Maybe some changes we need to make in our lives. I initially had a topic that uh, dealing with two attributes of what it is to be a Christian that kind of got rolled into what I'm going to ask us to look at. I love the way the Lord does things. None of the five, the number of the six of us, counting Philip with the psalm, did anything to coordinate our activities externally today. And yet, I think everything fits together in a beautiful piece for our blessing and for our good. And just like Matthew, I went out, actually I went out collecting all the different outlines that had something to say about what I was thinking about talking about. And in the eight or nine I found, I ran across one. Then when I looked at it, I said, wow, this is wonderful. I must have been there for it, but I don't remember it myself. I've got a copy of it right here. 71507, 2007, July 15th. Please, when you go home this afternoon, pull it down. If you ever have concerns about, boy, there's so much out there. I mean, Brother Jonathan, he just piles it higher and deeper as the days go by. I can't ever grab a hold of all that. I, I, I can't do that. I'm a simple person. If you ever look at your life and say, boy, I've made such mistakes in my life. I've, I've sinned. I've got all sorts of sins. And I'm old. I, I, how can I go on? I can't be the kind of Christian that the Bible says I ought to be. Well, you can be. Because Christianity, real Christianity, is real simple. That's the title of the outline. Just like Matthew on the forgotten sins, I'm just going to tie. There's 32, it's eight pages long, and there's 32 different passages. I'm going to only pull a few out for consideration today. But I hope they're helpful for you. Start off in Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. How can I be a real Christian? How can I have the joy and the peace, which is what I want to talk about, in my life I ought to have? Well, first of all, you've got to have the right focus. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Asaph, context, Psalm 73, what's the first 24 verses? Asaph, all despondent because he's seen the wicked and they're prospering. Everything's good. Everything's light and happy for them. And he's not having the same blessing that he sees them having. He knows they're wicked. He knows they're foolish. And yet they're prospering. You know, brethren, we can get weak. We can be very weak and forget all the wonderful things we've talked about today and be just like Asaph. Oftentimes, though, what helps us get there 
It's when we lose that focus on what is it all about. It's loving Jesus Christ. It's knowing and walking with Him. Who have I in heaven but Thee? See, it's when we start looking around at all the other goodies and all the things of this world, we lose focus. And that's the whole blessing of Psalm 73, of seeing a man who went through that loss of focus and how he got it back. It's easy, brethren. This is a simple priority. There's no five steps you need to worry about. It's one. Is Jesus Christ the center of your desire? Is He your portion? If He is, life is going to be good. And that's what it is to be a Christian. Jesus Christ is the center of my life. I make all my decisions, I make all my choices based on Him. Now, there's all sorts of details of how we can flesh that out. That's true. But if you have problems and feel that I just can't handle it all, just focus on that. Jesus Christ. Job 22, 21. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby, by being acquainted with him, knowing him and being at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. That's the advice for Job. Do you really know the Lord, brethren? We've had a number of weeks where our brother went over God's attributes, his character. Why did he do that? Was that a theological exercise? No, that's very practical. That's the God we have to deal with. And he's the one we want to know. That's our portion he was talking about, God. I mean, most of us, Human beings don't take the time. Most Christians don't take the time to know Him and His nature. But brethren, when you do take that time to know Him, you're blessed. It puts, you, it puts life in context, doesn't it? When you see what God is like, you already know what we are like, and then you see how He's going to reconcile it all in the end. Oh, it's wonderful. Peace and blessed religion of Jesus Christ comes from knowing and walking with God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I know Jesus, and then I walk, I live my life like He would like me to, like He did. That's simple. You know, we can think about things. We can look at all the details of Scripture. We can look at the four or five, 15 points of this, that, these and those that are there. And get overwhelmed by them. Look over at Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. Here we have Micah reflecting some of that worry and concern that people can have in the religion of God. And think about it in context. What was the religion Micah was familiar with? Moses and the Old Testament. How many laws, rules, and regulations did they have back there? Oh, I mean, depending on what kind of sin you're talking about, depended on what you brought and how the priest prepared it and how he offered it, it's complex. And so he asked, Micah 6, verse 6, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? And then notice you can see four things he brings up here. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with the calves of a year old? Well, if you've read your Old Testament, yes, that was what he said. Will God be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Yeah, you brought a sacrifice and you brought oil with it. 
Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? See, he understood just how big his sin was. It wasn't something small. Do I need to bring one of my my children, the most precious thing in my life I've got, other than my life itself, to offer before God? You know, again, these words are from a prophet to a people that, according to our brother's outline, had 972 commandments that they had to keep. That's complex, isn't it? But even back there, even back there under the old economy, God's true intent was very simple. Read the next verse. Verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? Three things. But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Real simple. The good things the Lord wants from us. Do justly. That's to be righteous in all your dealings and how you treat others. You want to be totally fair, totally honest in everything you do. That's simple enough, isn't it? To love mercy. You want to be compassionate, forgiving, overlooking problems and difficulties between you, making peace with others. That's simple enough, isn't it? And walk humbly with thy God. You want to have a poor spirit. Hey, anything you got was given to you, right? right? Anything good, anything worth having, you received as a gift. So walk that way. Make God your only portion. You know, if he's my only portion, if I lose my health, well, if I'm invested in him and he's my portion, I lost my health. I haven't lost anything. I lost my wealth. I haven't lost anything. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills, right? And all the gold in all the mines of the world. Very simple. Three things. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. That's pretty easy. How about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself? Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Please look at these. Are things hard and difficult in your life? Do you look, as I say, and I'm not, and you, you all understand, I love details. I love the fact that God gives us all these details to help us out. I love and am so thankful for the fact that God's given us a pastor who can mind these things out and put them in an order that we can understand. But, but brethren, I'll tell you, I don't know about any of you, but there's times when I look at all that and I say, it's too much. I can't do it. All those relationships we have, right? All the arrows coming in and going and all the people we can affect. And then, oh, Lord, if it's based on me, we're in trouble. And the Lord knew that. The Lord knew he would say that. Verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. You got a burden you need to bear? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
I, I love this analogy, brethren. You know, a yoke is a, is something you put on oxen as they're pulling a plow to get work done or pulling a cart, you know, and you're doubling, you know, the effectiveness of those oxen, you know, putting two together. Well, brethren, think about it from our standpoint. You know, I can't bear that load. Fine. Can Jesus bear it? Oh, he bore a whole lot more, didn't he? In taking our sins on the cross. Well, hey, if I'm yoked up with him, I'm just riding along with his efforts. If I think it's my effort to do, yes, it's backbreaking. But if I'm yoked up to the Lord of glory, it's a done deal. You struggle with the impossibility of being a true Christian. No, we want to be a great Christian, right? That just makes the burden even heavier. Stop laboring. You're struggling with sin, the guilt of sin, the shame of sin. What does he say? We just have to believe on him. Just believe on him and we're free from all that burden because he took it for us. Are you burdened by the duties and debts of others who have laid upon you? Ignore them. Take Christ's burden upon you. Because you can handle that. He said it, didn't he? And think again, context. What is the context here? Who's Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to Jews who are under that 1500 year burden. And a lot of other people that were pointing it to them. Right? This is what you gotta do. That was a Pharisee's religion. That was the scribes, right? Who would lay those burdens on top of men's backs and not lift one finger. Scripture tells us, right? But Jesus says, no, take my burden. It's light. It's easy. You can handle that. Hear the words of our Savior. This isn't secondhand. This is, as it would say, from the horse's mouth itself. This is Jesus himself saying, are you burdened? Then come to me. I'll bear it for you. You know, we talk about Psalm 127. You know, about getting up and, you know, rising up early and, you know, being burdened about things and how that passage says we don't need to do that in our practical lives. Jesus is saying that more than just in our practical lives. He's saying this in our spiritual lives as well. And again, I'm not advocating spiritual slothfulness, but I'm just saying when you feel overwhelmed, go to the Lord. He'll take your burden. He knows what we can take. And I'll be honest, brethren, I don't know that I can take all that much. That's why the Lord is so strong and powerful. He takes it for me. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now you see, right in there were two of the ones I wanted to talk about, joy and peace. Look at how they're all mixed together. Are you discouraged? Are you tired about all the laws and the regulations that you can't keep? All these things? Well, fine. Just focus on these simple things. Here's a short list. They're easy and simple things. And there's no law against any of these things. Loving others. Being joyful and content with your life. Boy, after everything Eric talked about, I mean, that's a boatload of joy from that, isn't it? 
Not just that I have salvation, but it was all the way from the beginning of time. Before time began, God planned it out. I am in the plan of God. Has anything ever failed that he's ever planned? No way. No way. Well, that includes my salvation. That includes my glorification. It's already done in his mind. It's just rolling it out for the rest of us to see it. I mean, why can't we be joyful with that in mind? Why shouldn't we have peace in our life? Hey, if I've got eternity with the Lord of glory, who's wanting to bless me because I'm a vessel of mercy, he's constructed right to show his goodness, his kindness and his mercy for eternity. Do you think you can put up with a little bit of suffering here in this world? It's funny. I think, it, you know, long suffering really doesn't apply. Even if it's a 70 year life of suffering, 70 years compared to eternity. <laughs> it's no comparison. It's no comparison. Romans 14, 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hey, we're back down to three simple things, aren't we? For if, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Oh, you want to be accepted by both God and men? then focus on righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's simple. I can, I, can, I can wrap my hands around that. That's real simple to have. And notice, these are found right in the middle. Context again. The context is Paul's talking about matters of liberty with Romans. You know, they had been arguing about Jewish dietary laws and meat offered to idols and Feast days and holidays and Moses' law and all those things. Things for, we don't have a lot of those concerns today, do we? We understand them pretty well, right? And he's, even in that context, said, no, 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 no. So let's simplify things. Don't worry about all that stuff. It's, it's done away with. Just think about being righteous in your life, about having peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. See, God's kingdom is not a bunch of legalistic rules about things indifferent. It's a spiritual religion. You want to be a true Christian? That's what you focus on. Righteousness. Being just, right, holy, godly, as defined by Scripture. Peace. How do we apply that? We live graciously and mercifully with others. Rather than that biting and devouring that Matthew pointed out in some of those forgotten sins. Joy. We're contented and thankful. Like Brother Mark told us to be. We're contented and thankful and we have lives where we cheerfully walk with the Lord. Is that hard? Is that difficult? That sounds pretty easy to me. That sounds like something that, you know... If I've, I've had a long day and had a lot of activities and lots of things to keep track with, I think I can keep track of that. I think I can wrap my hands around that. These are the things, it says, where we truly serve Christ, where we please God, and we find approval with others. One of Brother Jonathan's favorite verses over the last few years, Romans fifteen thirteen. Now the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. 
that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Our faith can grow in joy and peace and hope for the blessing and power of God Himself. Now, brethren, if you're not filled with joy and peace and hope through faith, you've got a spiritual problem. You get, I mean, it's real simple, isn't it? If this is the kingdom of God, if these are the things that we should be focusing on and I don't have those in my life, well, it's real simple. I've got a problem. But I think you can see it's real easy to correct it and fix it. If you don't, my final passage should help you. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, Newell, it's so, you don't understand. I can confess this one, but I'm sure there's 15 more to come. That's right. That's exactly right. And that's what, why God had John write that for us. Because when you see this one sin that's staring you in the face and you don't run away from it, you don't try to hide it and cover it up, but you walk up to God and say, Lord, yeah, that's me. I'm wrong. Forgive me. He says, that's, you're my child. You're being what I want you to be. And by the way, yeah, you've got five other things that are wrong with you, but I'm going to cover those over for you. I'm going to get rid of them for you. Because you're doing what I've asked you to do. Real Christianity. It's real simple. And again, I hardly suggest that you pull this outline because it won't take you long. It won't take you long to, to look at it, to read the verses and then read. They're very simple points underneath each one of them. And I hope that in one of the ones I've listed today that you found something you can identify with. If not, great. I'm sure you'll find something in the rest of the outline. July 15, 2007. Amen. Go look it up. Christianity is, is real simple. The Lord has blessed us so much, brethren. Amen. We ought to be, of all people, the most thankful in the world. Amen. Right, Brother Mark? Amen. I am so thankful for what we've heard this day. I'm thankful, as has been mentioned, that I am part of a congregation where in a pastor's absence, I mean, we talk about our brother Jonathan and the job that he does, and we thank and praise the Lord for him. I'm thankful to where we've had, we are in a congregation where men have paid attention, have listened to what he said, and are willing to come back and remind us all of it. Those, the men who've spoken today, I've spoken to every one of them, and we all know, right? It's been a blessing to us. Because, you know what happens? As Philip said, you know, when you're there in the Word and you're having to summarize it, and in this case, present it to somebody else. You see yourself. You see where you're failing. You see the problems you've got to correct in it. And it gets you excited about the solutions that God gives you for it. I'm thankful that we've got men who are willing to do that. Are willing to come up, just like our brother Jonathan, and present the truth, even when they know that if they're pointing a finger out at you, well, there's three of them coming back at them. And that's the attitude we want, brethren. We want to pray that God continues to bless us.
as a congregation to be that way. We need to take every opportunity we have in the Word, in our fellowship with one another, to put these things into practice.